Hi everyone, welcome to HubShots episode 278. In this episode, we talk about building a campaign in HubSpot from start to finish and the best practices to go with it. And what you're going to find, we'll talk about HubSpot lists, landing pages, CTAs, workflows in campaigns, plus reporting and dashboards, and how really to get the best out of your HubSpot campaign. You're listening to Asia Pacific's number one HubSpot-focused podcast where we discuss HubSpot tips, tricks, and strategies for growing your sales, service, marketing, and operations results. My name is Ian Jacob from Search and Be Found, and with me is Craig Bailey from Zen Systems. How are you, Craig? I'm so well, Ian, and so good to be back. You know, it's been a couple of weeks since our previous episode, and I just want to say thanks to listeners for your patience, and if you reached out, to us, thank you. And I had a few things going on in my life, but I want to thank you, Ian, for your support during that time. And hopefully we're back to normal now. And to that end, we've actually got a bumper episode, don't we? And in some ways, it's a word of warning before we start, because this is a massive episode. If you get the show notes, it's almost 5,000 words of content and screenshots and everything, because we're going to cover a big topic. It'll probably be a slightly longer episode than normal. And we're going to cover a whole lot of ground, but it's really about how to set up a campaign from start to finish, as you said in the intro, and lots of cover. And I'm really excited to get started. Now, listeners, if you're thinking that this is just about a HubSpot campaign, this is a part of that, but really we're talking about a campaign overall. And these are the bits that come into the HubSpot campaign side. The other thing I would encourage you to do is if you haven't got the show notes, do subscribe because what we will do is once we've prepared this nice download, we will send it to all of you in a, in a separate email. So I encourage you to go to hubshots.com and sign up for the show notes. So Craig, tell me what is a campaign? All right. You know what though? We're going to try something new in this episode. If you're listening to this as a podcast, then of course this won't make any difference to you, but we record this video and we put it on YouTube. Join us on YouTube. And this episode, starting today, we're actually going to screen share as well. So I'm actually going to do that. Uh, I'll screen share in the background. So if you do watch us on YouTube, you'll see we're screen sharing and pointing out screenshots and things as we go along. So I've got the screen shared now and there's our word of warning a bit. But yeah, what is a campaign? And this is the thing. A campaign means many things to many different people. And so it's probably worth just confirming what we're talking about in this particular episode. And let me give you some of the ways that it gets confusing. A campaign, a general definition might actually be just about a combination of actions to achieve a goal, achieve an outcome. And I think that's a good frame of reference. But if you think in marketing circles, if you think about what is a campaign, it actually can be a number of things. It could be a Google ads campaign. It could be a LinkedIn ads campaign. It could be a social campaign, whatever that is. It could be an email campaign, whatever that is, blasting out to your newsletter versus just a small segment. It could actually be the UTM parameters that you use because there's a UTM campaign parameter and it could actually be a campaign in HubSpot, the HubSpot campaign tool. So there's a lot of different words or a lot of different meanings for this word campaign. So what are we going to refer to it? Today, we're talking about all those actions combined together that drive an outcome for your business. So we're talking in a marketing sense, and that's why we're going to cover a whole lot of things around the different activities, in particular, 
using a HubSpot campaign, the actual HubSpot campaign tool, to wrap it all together for reporting. But there's so many things, aren't there, uh, Ian? There's landing pages, forms, workflows, emails. Uh, there's internal emails, there's CTAs, there's pop-ups. There's all kinds of things. And then, of course, there is the promotion uh, via various channels as well. But before we jump into that, and Ian, I'm going to get you to actually walk us through all of the different items in a second, but I think it's helpful to categorize all of these actions. And when we're chatting with clients, we think about it in five distinct areas or categories. We think about, about the whole planning that happens up front. That's when you're agreeing on what's the goal, what does success look like for the overall campaign, what's your budget, what's the time frame. Then there's the implement section. So we've planned it, then we go to implement. That's actually what we're going to talk about today, how you implement all the bits in HubSpot. Then there's the promotion side. That's actually when you go into Google Ads and set up Google Ads campaigns and Facebook and the like. We're not going to talk about that today. We'll just touch on it. Then there's the reporting side. That's very important, actually working out whether you get ROI. We will touch on that briefly. And then there's the whole optimize part if it's an ongoing campaign, which we're not going to touch on today. It's mainly the implement steps. But do you want to just uh, walk us through what the actual main items? There's a whole lot of HubSpot items, aren't there? That's right. So in the implement section, we did start off with design and so graphic design, and that's something you need to consider and be aware of. But talking about HubSpot items, we're talking about forms, lists, and now you sometimes might think lists, why does that have to be in a campaign? But we'll cover that shortly. Files, landing pages, call to actions, emails, workflows, the actual campaign where you include all of these bits site updates, which are not necessarily included in a HubSpot campaign, but need to be considered, the reports and the dashboards and attribution items. So those are kind of the main things we're going to be covering. And we're going to give you the best practices to do that. You know, before we jump into the items, I think it's worth talking about naming conventions. Yes. Isn't it, Ian? This is one of those, get this right now, thank me later pieces. No one really likes talking about naming conventions. We've included a number of tips in the show notes. You can read it and go through at your leisure. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, you'll see this. We've covered some of these things here, but just about using brand designators or the campaign name or descriptors, it's very important around naming conventions and we'll touch on a few of those as we go through. That's right. And why we want to do that, because it is super important to understand that if we name things correctly, when we go and track things, we know very well what is working and what is not working and how to easily track it without trying to figure out what's going on. So that's a really key aspect of being able to manage your campaign well and to track things down. So hence the focus on naming conventions. One more thing I forgot to mention, we've actually got a whole Google Doc separate to the show notes. This is actually what we use with our clients which details each of these items and we've linked to it in the show notes. You can go and get our Google Doc. This is what we use with clients. Take a copy of your own, use it in your own business if that's helpful to you. One of the things we've included in that is an estimation of time that you might spend on these areas. This is like the very first time you run a campaign. There's efficiencies if you run a campaign again, for example, Creating landing pages the first time takes a fair bit of work, but uh, in later campaigns, you can clone them and things like that. But we've got a whole Google Doc, so feel free to get that from the show notes. Should we jump into it? What's first? 
forms. Let's do it. Let's talk about forms. All right. So this is a very important point. Forms are where you can collect information and where you convert people. So you want to make sure that you've correct correctly set up your forms and please be aware that you can use the same form on multiple pages and this is a common question we get asked all the time do i need to have a separate form for every page and people keep cloning and replicating forms with the same information but you don't have to do that and the use of progressive form fields so just be aware listeners if you're using this functionality you need to be using hubspot marketing professional or enterprise to really get the full benefit from this so some of the things that we would include in a form in a very simplistic way is first name last name email now sometimes you might include company if you cannot use the email address to get the company name where people might put their personal ones and you might ask for their job title so depending on where that is or where people are in their journey you might also like to ask further questions like time frame related like are they actually just researching are they ready to purchase and what their intent is. So are they actually looking for a specific solution or are they ready to talk to somebody now? And a really simple question we ask with a lot of our clients is, do you want to talk to somebody? Mm -hmm. And that is an indicator of intent and just being really straight with it, not trying to ask it around the, in a different manner, but saying, would you like to actually speak to somebody? It's a yes or no answer. And then you can start the conversation. So that is one. The next thing we're going to talk about is progressive form fields. Now, what this is, is it allows you to switch out one form field if it's already known. So let's say they've already filled out a form and then they fill out another one. You can queue these up. So in the example that we've got, we've got eight form fields that are queued. So if they've given us information, we ask them questions like, how would you describe yourself? So this is the persona question. Maybe it's to do with how big their company size is. Maybe it's to do with their job title and role in the business. Maybe it's even to do what what their pain point is. And you can actually collect all of this information in progressive form fields. And if you want to know more about that in episode 277, we discuss that further. All right. The next part of forms is pop-up forms. And we love pop-up forms, don't we, Craig? Because it enables us to target people based on behavior. So the right people are seeing the form. We can use it to guide people if they're spending too long on a page and uh, potentially where they have lots of options. And we do this often when people are have a lot of product in front of them and they don't know what to choose. So we would say, hey, would you like to talk to a specialist or Talk to someone that can guide you through the process of finding the right product. We use it for promoting pages. We use it to give them relevant downloads on that page. And we also use it for quick sign-up. So those are the different ways that we can use the pop-up forms. So now we're going to talk about behavioral targeting on forms and how to make that relevant. And here are some examples. You only show them on certain pages and you only show them to specific contacts. So a specific contact list and you show them the form. Now in saying that, Craig, and there's something that's not in the show notes is that there's nothing stopping you from actually having a smart module with a form in it that only shows the particular people that belong to that list. So it just doesn't pertain to pop-up, but also to normal forms on a page that you can control. This is true. Yeah, there's a lot of flexibility and 
even though this show is going to be we're quite long and we're going to try and cover so many areas, there's so many more that we don't actually have time to cover. The nuances as well. We're just going to go through the basics. But I really like that targeting that they offer on pop-up forms because you can just hide it for people who've already filled it out. There's nothing more frustrating than filling out a form and then you go unprompted to fill out the form on your next visit. It's like that's a bad experience and HubSpot to the rescue there. That's right. And so, listeners, here is where one list come in because what you essentially want to do is not show that pop-up to that list that has actually completed that pop-up form before. Yeah. You know, it's worth talking about the order that we do things because in some ways you've got to jump around between them. For, I think, clarity in today's show, we've started with forms. But actually, you know what we we actually start with when we're building a new campaign? We normally start with the thank you page. Yes. Because the thank you page is normally something that the form submit redirects to. So just keep that in mind, listeners. You might have to juggle around, start getting the forms done. Then you might do the thank you page, you might come back. It's not necessarily uh, something that goes one after the other. You can do them in parallel. But worth mentioning, I just thought it would have been weird to start the show talking about the thank you page first. <laughs> so we started with forms because that's kind of how people think. But let's talk about lists as well. And as you rightly mentioned, Ian, Lists are actually great because then you can use them in at behavioral targeting to exclude people from seeing the form again. So lists, I think this is one of the most powerful features of HubSpot that people underutilize. We all, we all know the workflows are very powerful, but people, I think, appreciate the power there. Lists, very powerful. I don't think people fully appreciate the power of lists. They can, of course, get very complex, but what we've done in the show notes is just walk through some of the simple lists that we often build as part of a campaign, an overall marketing campaign in the HubSpot to highlight what you can do. So you can do things like which form they've filled out. So we've got some examples that we use on HubShots, a list just built around a form being filled out on any page. You can actually refine those to be date-based. You can actually further refine them to be, oh, are there certain URLs that people visit? And then you can actually create um, lists that are lists of lists. Often people are blown away when they realize, oh, so I can create a list and then use that list in another list? Yes, you can. Got some examples here, lists of lists. And you know what you can do then? You can actually create a list of lists which is used in another list. So this will all make sense in the show notes because you can use the list and then refine that down. A list, you might say, oh, all the different contact us forms on your site, pull them all together in a list. And then use that list in another list that says, oh, but what's if they've only been filled out in the last seven days or they've only visited in the last seven days and maybe they're actually quite engaged. They've viewed more than 10 pages. That's a list of a list with further refinement. You can also include lifecycle stages. There's a whole bunch. And here's where we come to kind of the best practices in terms of what we normally create for a standard campaign. We have the form submits. We have MQLs, SQLs any that have created a deal and also customers. Here's the takeaway. Lists are your friend. <laughs> Make sure you use them to their full extent. And the other thing that we build is exclusion lists, don't we, Ian? What are exclusion lists? So these are lists you do not want to include or you want to exclude from reports, workflows, emails, etc. And surprising as we're putting it together, we didn't, I didn't realize that there was so many exclusion lists and 
What I want to do is take a step back and what Craig was saying, just think of a list as a building block. And what we've essentially done is we create individual lists to create those building blocks, which we can then use across multiple other ways and other lists. So instead of building a super list, let's call it, where we put all of the criteria into that one list, this enables us to go, okay, we've got the building block for for this. Now let's add it to this. And then it means that we can use building block A in other scenarios as well. Mm -hmm. So we really compartmentalize this to help you utilize it efficiently across the system for your reporting, for your emails, et cetera. So I'm just going to go through a couple here. And if you, it's best to look at the actual notes because you'll get a good idea of how this works. So here are some of the ones lists we, we as a default, we actually set up. We have an active list that are for competitors that we don't want to receive our content. So we put the domains that they belong. So that's one. The next is an active list of people who have unsubscribed or bounced. That's really important. Next, we put people into a list where we can't identify or confidently identify based on their location. So they might be in Germany, for example, and they have certain GDPR considerations. The next would be contacts that aren't a good fit into another active list. And this is based on a non-fit persona. So as much as we have select your persona, there are personas that you can select that are actually non-fits and that's how people end up in this list. So I'll use an example. Builders know that a persona that is a fit is someone looking to buy a house. A non-fit persona is somebody selling their services like a carpenter or electrician wanting to sell their services. And that's a non-fit persona for a building company, which can be dealt in a different way. The next one is a static list that we use is contacts we're planning to delete. So you can add this manually if you want these contacts to be deleted. Another one that we have a static list is contacts who spam us. So they keep coming out and filling out forms to promote their products and services. That's a really useful one. The next one is a list where we can just manually add specific contacts to be deleted. And you might want to separate that from a delete list, but maybe you have a separate list for that. And then finally, people internally who have test submitted a form, and this can be active or static, depending on the control you need. So in the example, you will see it's actually an active list and we have put anybody that belongs to the domains of search and be found, Zen or HubShots need to be a part of that exclusion list. And you can see how we can exclude those domains. All right, on to HubSpot files, Craig. All right, this is a quick one. HubSpot has quite a nice file system just and it's very intuitive just for uploading files. Maybe that's your PDF or a video recording for webinar, things like that. Just a few tips around that. Again, naming conventions are your friend here. We aim to avoid using spaces in file names of yes. files. Just use dashes as well. Otherwise, you get all those ugly percentage 20 URLs and things like that. Sometimes create low and high-res versions the quick tip really is about updating or replacing files. Let's say you've got an asset, it's an ebook or a brochure or some download, and then you refresh it. Well, if you've got the file there, instead of uploading a brand new file, you can actually replace the existing file. And the beauty of this is, and you taught me this, Ian, uh, only recently I have to say, I didn't realize this is here. Ian showed me this a month or two ago. It replaces it so that any links that you've got throughout the site or CTAs or anything like that, you don't need to update those to point to the new file. 
this replace version does it. So great tip. By the way, that's been there for ages. I just didn't know about it. So thank you for that, Ian. And listeners, maybe you didn't know about that either. And you know how I discovered that, Craig? On the sales side, when you share document links and you you save the document, you could use exactly the same thing. So you don't actually have a new link with a mm. document share. Let's say there's a new version. Right. And that's how you replace it. So it's a yeah. great feature that will save a lot of headache in the long run. All right. Let's talk about landing pages. So we were talking about starting with the thank you page first. But uh, here are the kind of landing pages that we have in HubSpot. Now, why they are in landing pages as opposed to website pages is because you can measure conversion and conversion metrics. And that's really the key thing here. So let's talk about the three kinds of landing pages we have. There's the first, there is the landing page. This is the page that we send people to with the offer and the form on it. The next is you have a thank you page. And this is once they've submitted it might explain what their next steps are. And then possibly you can have a download page where the asset actually lives. So this could be a video, a PDF download, a webinar recording. Now, often you will find people will combine the thank you and the download page together in this scenario. And the thank you page is the one that does it all. Now, one thing that people don't realize is that you can actually on a thank you page, place another form and then get people to, you could do another progressive form where you get more information or give them another offer. And why this is exciting is that if you have this, and an example is we utilized this for a builder where they downloaded a guide about building a granny flat, I think it was, a while back. And then on the thank you page, when we gave them the guide, we said, oh, would you actually like to have a design consultation with someone. And so not everybody filled it out, but that option was there. And I'd probably say about 20% of the people did fill that out and go to the next step. So getting more information and then passing them on to the next. So it's a great place to take the next action or give them the option to take the next action. Can I just mention, I don't think there'll be, still be most listeners issue, but one of our clients last week said, why do you call it landing page? Why is it landing? What's that mean? And I, I explained, look, it's just an industry term. It's the page people land on. And then she said, is a thank you page a landing page? And I was like, oh, okay. In terms of it being an industry term, no, it's not. But in terms of HubSpot, yes, it's a landing page. And what about the download page? Is that a landing page? Well, yes, it is. So you can see how confusing it is. They all appear under the section called landing pages in HubSpot. But then we refer to the first one that people arrive on as the landing page. That's where people land to start their journey on your site. So if you're confused, folks, because of that terminology, yes, welcome to marketing. <laughs> it's, it's confusing. And Hopefully listeners, we've cleared that up for you. Quickly, yeah, again, naming conventions. So often Craig and myself will put a DL or a TY or a, D or a TP before the actual page name. So we can identify it quickly when we're searching. So that's a little mm. tip when you're trying, especially when you're trying to add it to the campaign tool, it's a really quick way to find mm. things. All right. Do you want to talk about the landing page considerations, Craig? Well, you know what? You can do a search on Google and there's thousands or millions of results. Uh, the first two uh, results, uh, well, I think number one is HubSpot. They've got a guide, best practices for landing pages. We're not going to go through that here. I'm actually going to just refer to one thing that they mentioned. 
Unbounce has also has a good page on landing page tips, you know, how to lay it out and things like that. I just want to mention one thing that you'll see in most of these articles. They'll say, look, make sure you make it as simple as possible and remove all navigation. A landing page is simple. It just give them one thing to do. I actually want to challenge that. I want to say test and measure because yes. we've found it depends on the industry and the circumstance that sometimes people find that off-putting. Then they click the logo to get off the landing page. They want to go somewhere else and then they, oh, I can't find the landing page. Oh, what else do you do? What solutions? Where am I? So test and measure. If you don't have time to test and measure, just go with conventional wisdom. Keep it simple. But I do want to indicate that we actually like to test that and we are finding sometimes having navigation is actually more of a credibility boost. I think people are getting a sense of, oh, no, I'm trapped here. Don't control what I can do. I want to be in control. So anyway, just a comment there. Then we just, we'll just chat about here. Why do we start with the thank you page first? Because, yeah, that's normally where people end up after filling out forms. So we create the thank you page first so that a form can go to it or we can refer to it in lists and things like that. A few quick tips about the thank you page. As you said, Ian, yeah, just include next steps. Don't leave it blank. Don't just go, thanks, we'll be in touch. Give them something else. Help them out. Provide value. And in terms of conversion rates, look, there's lots of industry studies, but if you're getting more than 2% conversion rate, you're on the right path. If you're getting under 2%, then something's wrong. But really, you want to be getting more. A really good landing page should be getting more than 10 or 20% opt-in if you've targeted the traffic well and you've got a compelling offer. All right, right. let's talk about HubSpot call to actions or CTAs as they're referred to in the system. And these are probably one of those little, it's a little ignored brother in the system, I would say. And I would call them, Craig, as these are the little signposted markers along the path to get users to take action. Mm. And they're a centralized way to manage links and view stats, whether they're working or not. So it's a great place and they're used to link to assets like downloads, PDFs, landing pages, and other assets within the system. And they're also used in emails and on pages and in navigation. Often you'll see a call to action. Sometimes you'll see a smart call to action that's being tested and it'll be in a header. It might give you an offer versus going contacting. So some of the CTA tips I'd like to just uncover that HubSpot have found from all of their data. A personalized CTA performs 202% better than just a standard one. The average click-through of a CTA is 4.2% and the multivariate CTA allows you to test multiple versions of a button, for example, to see what works best. And one of the things that we often test is the language on the button. So in the example we have, it says, do you need parts, question mark, or spare parts? So the whole idea of this CTA was to get people that need parts to click. And so we were testing to see which language actually got them to do something. Now, there was a big difference, like in the submission mm-hmm. rate, if you have a look, the click rate was very similar, but the submission rate was massively different. And if you had just looked at the click, you'd go, oh, okay, we're on the part. They're kind of the same. But if you look at the submission rate, massively different. So well worth looking at those metrics when you're looking at your CTAs. So here, some of the benefits, like we said, quickly test variations of your messaging. You can view the stats, you can easily update it, and then it'll be used across the system. And it's just a great way 
to understand those paths along the process of conversion. All right, on to HubSpot emails, Craig. We know so far we've talked about forms, then we've talked about lists based on form submissions, then we've talked about landing pages. So a landing page will have a form on it and go to a thank you page. Once someone's filled out a form and they've gone to a thank you page, you want to send them an email. So we're going to talk about emails next. And there's a number of different emails. There's the first one, the simplest, is a thank you email. So this is what you send someone after they've filled out the form. We'll tell you how to send that in a second when we talk about workflows. But in terms of what's in the thank you email, just something very simple. We've got a screenshot of what we do with HubShots. People fill out one of our forms on the HubShot site. It's very simple. Talks about the next step and what else they can do. A few quick tips about emails. In fact, all emails is just assume people are going to read them on mobile. Correct. So with that in mind, aim to be single column. The days of multi-columns, three-column wide emails and all kinds of things are kind of disappearing. They're kind of behind us. Some emails are really responsive and they'll work on mobile, but just don't assume that's the case. Just keep them single column. Keep it simple. Don't write a novel. And keep it spaced out. Just, again, they're on mobile devices. Now, the next kind of email is the internal notification email. And this is a special kind of email that you can prepare and customize to include all kinds of fields about the contact and it's sent internally. What that means is it's sent to a sales rep or a marketing person to let them know that someone's filled out a form. Why would you do this rather than just have a notification from the form itself? Well, you can do that. That's pretty easy. But having an internal notification gives you a lot more options about including other fields that weren't actually on the form submission. So we've got a screenshot again of this, including things such as where they first came from, how many visits, how many sessions, when was their last visit, have any emails bounced, all those kind of things. So that when that goes to an internal person, they can get a full picture about the contact. Then the third type of email that it normally gets prepared as part of a campaign are nurture emails. Uh, we've got a whole bunch of tips on this in the show notes, but it's really about giving value to contacts to move them along in their journey or move them out of the journey. Sometimes the purpose of a nurture email is to check fit, and if they're not, to encourage them to unsubscribe and leave because we don't want to waste their time. But if we are a fit and we can help them, let's move them along so that we can get them yeah, get so I'm just going to quickly talk about some examples, Craig. Mm. A really simple one is some nurture emails following a download, for example. So you might want to highlight things in the download plus some other things that are not included. When someone adds a product to their cart, you might want to do a nurture after that as well. You might want to do a, a nurture to indicative where they are in their journey and how you can help them move to the next stage of that journey. So that's what that nurture sequence would do. The other one that we often do is educating people once they've purchased a product. So how to use it, how to enjoy it, how to, how to maximize it. And that might be a three-part series or four-part series. And then another one that potentially you could use is a quick action training delivered over a period of days all via email. So they don't have to log into something, but they just have to read the email and take action. And you're probably asking yourself, well, that's great, Ian and Craig, but how many emails should we be sending in this sequence, right? And it's not a sales sequence, it's marketing. And this really depends. Now, most of the time we see three plus emails and it depends on the time frame and what the goal is of that, right? Now, for a product email, uh, for a product-related one, you might actually just have three emails saying, here's 
here's what you can do with it. Here's how long it's going to last you. Here's, here's might be the next step in pointing them to the next product. Or you could do a little mini course via email, which might be actually seven emails over seven days. So just think about what is good for that situation and what you would enjoy receiving. And that's how I would often measure that. But that's a great way to start. All right, on to HubSpot workflows. All right. Now, this is a big topic. This is shot nine. So where have we got to? We've set up your HubSpot form. You've set up your HubSpot lists. You've set up your landing page and your thank you page, perhaps even a download page and if it's not combined. And then you've got some emails to send to thank the people and send internal notifications. How do you actually send those emails? That's where HubSpot workflows come in. By the way, workflows overall, they're, they're more than just sending a few emails. These are the key to scalability in your business. So let's get them set up ready for future growth. You can do all sorts of things, send emails, create tasks. You can actually create new objects. So for example, you could have a form submit. Someone shows an inquiry. Maybe, maybe it's a, a lower or a bottom of the funnel form. They want a quote or they want a demo. You can actually then say, oh, that's good purchase intent. I'll create a deal for this contact. And you'll do that via a workflow. There's three main parts. There's, we've got a massive section in the show notes. I think there's something like uh, 2,000 words where we go through all the different parts of a workflow. We don't have time to do that in the show. I just encourage you to get the show notes and check all those out. But at its simplest, a workflow has three main things. It has the entry criteria. That's how people get into the workflow. For example, they fill out a form. Then there's the actions. What happens in that workflow? Oh, send an email, send an internal email, create a task, whatever. And then there's settings. And this is where you can control things such as I only want it to run on certain days or I want to unenroll people from this workflow if they meet certain conditions. Now, there's a number of different types of workflows in HubSpot. There's date-based contact ones. There's deal-based tickets, all this kind of thing. In today's show, just as part of Overall, if you're setting up a campaign, all we're talking about is a standard contact workflow. So just remember that there's a whole lot of bunch different options. We've got, um, and I've just got here on the screen, probably an example of the simplest contact workflow you could build. It's very simple. If they fill out a form or they happen to be a member of a list, that's the entry criteria. Send them a thank you email and then send an internal marketing email. That's about as simple as it gets. And if this is your first time setting up a workflow, that's all you need to do. And it just means that they filled out the form, they'll get a thank you, and you'll get an internal notification with full details. However, some tips around criteria, you can get into all kinds of trouble as your business grows, unless you keep things simple at the start. We've got a whole section where we talk about tips and that, and I think what we'll do, Ian, is because we, we, we don't want this to be like a two-hour episode, I'll just mention that it's all in the show notes and maybe we'll have a future episode where we just talk about workflow tips. In that separate section, we'll also talk about re-enrollment settings. We've got this all in screenshots in the show notes and full details. You can see them here if you're watching around re-enrollment. Very important, especially with campaign workflows because people often forget to put re-enrollment and we've all had that case, and I know you've probably had this, Ian. I know I've had it. I'm like, oh, I'm just feeling, oh, yeah, I wouldn't mind that. I fill out the form. It gets, sends me a thank you email. I completely forget about it. Three weeks later, I'm like, oh, yeah, actually, I'll go back to the landing page. I fill out the form again. I don't get a thank you email. What's happened? It's because they didn't have re-enrollment on. 
Okay. Someone comes back and fills out the form again, you want to send them a thank you email after that. We've got a whole section on a gotcha. Should you use lists as workflow trigger criteria? The answer is yes and no. Yes, you can definitely do it, but there's some traps you can fall into, especially around form submissions. If you build a list on form submissions and use it as your only workflow criteria, you can get stuck if they come back and repeat. We've got that explained in the show notes and we'll talk about that in a separate episode. We've got a whole section on unenrollment and how we normally manage unenrollment and all the things that we look for. So all the best practices that we use and that often uses those lists we talked about early in the show, screenshot here where we talk about how we use them. And then also goals in workflows. Contact workflows have goals and people often don't even realize this and they serve two purposes. I'm just going to mention this. Don't feel you need to remember all the details, listeners. Just remember that this is possible. The workflow goal. So why goal, Craig? Yeah, it can drop a person out of the workflow. Here's a good example. They're in a nurture workflow and then the whole point of the workflow is to get them to take the next step, sign up for a demo, let's say. Let's say you've got 10 emails in that nurture sequence. After the second email, someone does go and sign up for a demo. Well, it's inappropriate to keep sending them eight more emails saying sign up for a demo. So we put the sign up as a demo as the goal on the workflow. Once they do meet that goal, they jump out of the workflow. So it's very handy for that reason. But also, the beauty of it is you can see where they dropped out of the workflow. That's the beauty of goals as opposed to, say, suppression lists or unenrollment. Got a whole bunch of workflow action tips and also naming conventions with screenshots from our portal about some of our child workflows, how easy it is. allows us to find child workflows and what they are, workflows called from other workflows. And we've actually got some other resources to other shows where we talked about workflows. I think workflows is one of our favorite topics on the show, Ian. I think so, so powerful. So we've got a ton of episodes on that. Simple and powerful. Okay, now we're going to talk about the HubSpot campaigns tool. And why is this important? This is where we bring it all together, right? So we want to tag related marketing assets like ad campaigns, CTAs, lists, landing pages, emails, website pages, and to collectively assess all our marketing efforts, right? Now, we used to wait till the end to add, to do all of this, but now we can add assets at any time. So you'll see in the HubSpot campaigns tool, there is an add assets button and it's getting better all the time. You can add forms, you can add lists, you can add static, uh, well, when I say lists, you can add static lists, etc. So this is really important. So it's getting better by the day and just gives us the ability to be more flexible with how we do things. So, so why do we want to do this? And these are the often overlooked advantages of HubSpot campaigns. It lets you manage all of your marketing channels in one central place. You can, uh, you can uh, have a single bird's eye view of how a campaign is in your campaign workload is taking place. You can assign tasks to people in that campaign, believe it or not, and make comments about things that need to be done that's related to that campaign. And then there is also a comment feature. So everyone is on the same page and everyone knows what's going on. So well worth looking at it and utilizing all the features within there. All right, coming towards the end, we've got HubSpot site updates. So these are some of the things that you might often overlook where you might want to add a CTA to your 
sidebar of your blog. You might want to put a new menu item to promote that item. You might want to change your resources page to include it. You might want to add it to your personal email signatures. You might want to add it to your regular newsletter and you might want to add it to your social banners and change the links from your social accounts to point to that offer. So that's that. And now onto the HubSpot reporting and dashboards. We're on the home stretch now, aren't we, Ian? So just a quick recap. You've set up your landing page. It has a form. It takes you to a thank you page. That jumps you into a workflow which sends the contact a thank you email, also sends you an internal notification. You've created a HubSpot campaign, the HubSpot campaign tool, to add all those assets so that then you can report across it. It's like an umbrella for all of those assets and then you can see attribution and then now we're talking about reports which are another way of looking at the success of all those pieces. And the great thing about HubSpot reports is they've come a long way in the last year as well, haven't they, Ian? They're getting very powerful, especially with the custom report builder. But also they have such a good library of reports, out-of-the-box reports. So there's a bunch that you can use. We've got some screenshots where we walk you through building reports in the custom report builder and in particular using those lists that we we went through in shot four, adding them in as the starting point for your reports. What are some of the, the typical reports we would use to report across a campaign? So one thing you might want to look at contacts per month broken down by source and lifecycle stage. The deals from the contacts. So you want to find here the attributed revenue and you want to find influence contacts, deals and revenue. And often you will find this on the HubSpot campaign page where you've got this, but you can actually have separate reports to break that down even further. Now, one of the things you will notice that there are now campaign properties available in the report builder, which you can utilize by trying to select a particular campaign. Maybe you're looking for a campaign goal that you want to report on and who the owner is to see who who does uh, good performing campaigns. And that's now available in the report builder. All right, I just want to encourage you all to have a look at the reports that are there, the pre-built ones, and you can actually customize the pre-built ones as well. And it is a bit different. And I wanted to show that there are filters in there for asset types. So this is really important if you want to figure out which asset type is working Or you might want to say, well, look, we're spending a lot on this particular asset type and it might be, let's say, email marketing. And you want to say, is email marketing generating us revenue? And you want to just split that down and you might use that as an interaction source. So you can actually do that and save that as a separate report. And it just looks slightly different in the report because of the way the report is built. It's not uh, what it looks like in the actual report builder and this report was actually taken from the library and then you can edit it so just be aware of that all right the next thing would be is to once you've got your reports make sure you add them to a dashboard once you've got your dashboard is really important because why do you want to add them to a dashboard because you can filter it so you can filter it by owners by time really key and by teams You can set up a scheduled email to send to people. So you can send to individuals on a particular time frame, on a particular date range. And a really common one we find is usually Monday mornings at eight o'clock for the previous week, which gives people enough time to get everything done, but gives you a good snapshot of the week 
that has just gone past. And you can even put it into uh, a slide deck, like a PowerPoint or a PDF with the graphs, etc. So it's a really good thing that you can utilize. And you can also add external content like YouTube, Databox. We embed Google Docs in there of spreadsheets that we're updating. So it's a really good way to actually get everything in the one place in a concise manner. And now, Craig, coming to the quote of the week. Just before we do that, a quick recap again. So I think hopefully we've covered a lot of ground, but also in a way that makes it simple to follow. So I'll just repeat, you've got a landing page that's got a form on it. They fill out a form, they go to a thank you page. When they get to the thank you page, that's also triggered a workflow that sends them an email. And it also sends internally an email, notification email, so that we know about it. We've captured that all in, in the HubSpot campaign tool as a HubSpot campaign, which we can then report on. And there's standard out-of-the-box reports that HubSpot provides that you can cover campaigns and you can pop them onto a dashboard. And that dashboard, you can actually set up on a schedule to send you every Monday morning. So you can see, oh, it's dashboard of all the reports around the campaign. I can see how everything's going. So that's all the implementation from start to finish. All the HubSpot pieces, hopefully explained so you can see how they all fit in. We've got the Google Doc as well, which uh, breaks all of those down, as well as the show notes. If you've got any questions, you can contact Ian or myself anytime, any questions. And that really, hopefully, has provided you with best practices and tips and a whole framework for setting up a campaign from start to finish. But with all of that, you might get bogged down in implementation and just doing stuff. So it's always good to have a bit of a reminder about the big picture, isn't it, Ian? And this is this beautiful quote that you've chosen for the show. That's right. And this is from Damesh, who is the CTO and founder of HubSpot. And he says, many companies have forgotten they sell to actual people. Humans care about the entire experience, not just marketing or sales or service. To really win in the modern age, you must solve for humans. And with that, I just wanted to say it's really important. I think with all of this stuff, a campaign is a great way to organize everything that we've discussed and to have a goal that we're after. But at the end of the day, it's people that we're dealing with. So let's make sure that everything that we do is serving others well. And at the end, uh, in the show notes, we've also given you links to three lots of training about creating a campaign in HubSpot analyzing how do you analyze HubSpot campaigns and developing a lead gen campaign within HubSpot. So well worth having a look for you to learn. Now, listeners, we know that there's a lot that we've covered and we will dive deep into this further. We would love your feedback. If you've got any feedback, please let us know. Connect with myself on LinkedIn or sign up to the show notes and reply back to Craig and we would love to hear more from you. Well, Craig, until next time. Catch you later, Ian. Hey there. Thanks for listening to this episode of HubShots. To get the latest show notes, HubSpot tips, and marketing resources, sign up at hubshots.com. You can also book time with us to help you grow better with HubSpot.